Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. I had a few other things that I had to get done. You can see we've done a lot of things this week, and I hope you're pleased with the pews as you're seeing those today. Uh, the chairs will be in later uh, near the end of this month, and so there'll be chairs against the back wall and chairs up in the uh, balcony, as well as new chairs in the choir that'll all match the pews uh, there uh, with the color of the, the fabric. So we do want to welcome those of you who are with us online. Uh, glad to have you with us, whether you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, any of those platforms, be sure to like, to heart, to share, to follow us there. Uh, and then also, uh, if you would, uh, there, give us a thumbs up uh, on uh, Facebook, as well as on YouTube there, subscribe, click that notification bell if you like our services, uh, that way you'll be able to get uh, that every time that we go live. And then also want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. That's an awesome service that we have. We have several people who use that each and every week, and so we praise the Lord we have that. For those who don't have internet service, that they can just call this number, uh, and then it will call them every week automatically. So if you need that number, see me after the service, call the church office this week. We'll be glad to give that to you. If you have uh, access there, though, to the church website at home, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletin. Uh, you can also download the children's worship bulletins. Those are in the windowsill to my right. Uh, the bulletins for today are at the door, so be sure to grab uh, those. And then also, I don't know that we have new printed uh, prayer lists, but those are online also. Uh, and I will say for the um, children's worship bulletins and the worship bulletin online, uh, if you go down to the very bottom of the info page, uh, you'll find them, uh, when you click on, sun, on the bulletin there, you'll find them down at the very, very bottom uh, of that page. Uh, just a small little link there. We've had some issues in trying to get that all situated on our page there, but we'll fix that later this week. Uh, but the link is there for you to be able to download uh, today's worship bulletin. So I think that's all I have for right now, Brother Mike. If you saw the hesitancy in my face, I wasn't going to stand up with him not being in here. <laughs> anyway, over the last several weeks, I've made comments every time we got ready to sing to take out your hymnals, and you didn't have any because you didn't have any pews. No excuse. Take your hymnals this morning, stand up, and let's sing to God Be the Glory, hymn number four.
Jesus, how far down three seas. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. encourage you to take a moment to look in your bulletins. You'll see our missionaries of the week, uh, Richard and Karen Lee, who are serving in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, reaching out to African peoples there. And so we want to encourage you to read that in your bulletin, to be praying for them as well as all of our missionaries around the world. But this month is our emphasis on the golden offering for Tennessee missions. So we want to just share a video that's kind of an overview that kind of gives you the, the 30,000 uh, height picture of what we are doing across Tennessee in the way of missions. So prayerfully watch this video this morning. Faces, we see them every day. People are coming to Tennessee from everywhere, from across the country and from around the world. But do we really see them? They all face different challenges, but they all share a single need, to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The number of unchurched and spiritually lost people in Tennessee has climbed beyond four million. How can we reach them all for the gospel? It's a daunting task. But there is hope. Jesus tells us, with God, all things are possible. Tennessee Baptists recognizes that any way you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field. There are many opportunities to serve God and to serve others. That's why so many Tennessee Baptists support the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For instance, because Tennessee Baptists faithfully gave through the years, Together, we are positioned to welcome and serve thousands of construction workers building Ford Motor Company's massive truck manufacturing plant in West Tennessee. And women who struggled with drug addiction and who are left homeless are experiencing physical and spiritual healing through Christian Women Job Corps. And college students across our state are hearing the gospel at Baptist Collegiate Ministries 
offering Tennessee Baptists an opportunity to potentially reach more than a quarter million young adults for Christ. And emerging generations are encountering Christ through ministries like Royal Ambassadors Camporee, held at Tennessee Baptist's Linden Valley Conference Center. All these opportunities are made possible by giving through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. The Golden Offering is to Tennessee what the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is to the International Mission Board. It helps Tennessee Baptists serve through strategic ministries and creates new ministry opportunities as God does a new thing among our family, friends, and neighbors. Are you and your church directly involved in this strategic missions giving opportunity? If not, would you consider contributing through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions and supporting mission work right here in Tennessee? Because any way you slice it, Tennessee is a mission field. true with over 4 million people across our state who are without Christ, we have a great mission field right here in our own state. So we want to be encouraging you to pray for our missions work. We're going to be sharing videos all throughout this month of specific uh, ministries that we're doing across Tennessee and that we support. Uh, but we want to encourage you to be praying about giving towards the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. Our goal for our church is $5,000. So we want to encourage you to pray about giving towards that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessings that you've given to us and for the blessing and opportunity to reach out to lost people not only around this world and across this nation, but just right here in Tennessee through our Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. So Lord, lay this upon our hearts. Uh, give us a heart for the people who are around us, the over four million who don't know Christ here across Tennessee. And we pray, God, that you would uh, bless us, that we might be a blessing to our missionaries who are serving in places we might not get to go. Uh, maybe we can uh, be able to go on some mission trips to go alongside them and support them and encourage them uh, in their work. But Lord, in the meantime, may we pray for them and may we give to the Golden Offering for Tennessee missions to help support their work. So bless us this morning, Lord, and bless our missionaries. Bless this service as we come to worship you in song and in word. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you to, you have your offering envelopes. Uh, they're not in your pews yet. Uh, they are still in the windows. Uh, so be sure to grab one of those, give your offering uh, down front here or at the doors as you leave in the plates. Uh, you can do that online by going to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right hand side, click that give online tab, easy platform you can set up and you can do that from here in person as well. And then you'll find here on the stage and I believe at the doors also, uh, there are some uh, surveys from the person personnel uh, team who is uh, wanting to get some input from you about uh, the music minister position. We mentioned that uh, several months ago when we uh, had our business meeting. Uh, they have finally got that survey ready for you and we need your input. So feel free to pick those up. A couple of weeks is what we'll ask uh, for you to get those back to us uh, in. Uh, just uh, number these one, two, three uh, in the order you see as the priority. Uh, and you can read the things that are on there, so I won't read it all to you, but just encourage you uh, to pick up one of those, fill it out. Uh, you can place it in an offering plate uh, or you can put it in the box that's on uh, Miss Amy's uh, office door uh, as you go by there too. So just wanted to make you aware of those that are available for you this morning. So Brother Mike. Take your hymnals once again and uh, open to hymn number 122 and join the choirs we sing, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Something was different than this thing. There's, I'm gonna scratch it up with my shoes. We got a bottom in this thing now. It's <coughs> children's choir will be gathering over here on the right hand side by the piano as we sing this next hymn. The hymn is uh, 134. Jesus paid it all. Stand with the choir as we sing 134.
Amen. Take your hymnals this morning, your hymnals, your Bibles. See, I'm all over the place this morning. Too many irons in the fire. You ever have those days? <laughs> More often than not as we get older, it seems like. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 24 or 22. We're going to start with verse 54 and verse 55. I know your bulletin uh, says there chapter 23, but we're going to come back just a little bit uh, here to catch a few verses about Peter uh, as we go into looking here at Peter and Pilate also and seeing the dangers of compromise. And that's what this message uh, is all about. So uh, let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word, Luke chapter 22, verse 54. And verse 55, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. And Father, we know that we all face this danger uh, more and more in our world and in our hearts and lives, especially as believers, to compromise with the world, to compromise the convictions of your word and the truths of your word. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to see through Peter and through Pilate the, the ways that we shouldn't respond to compromise uh, that we know we're going to face, as well as to see uh, the answer to facing the dangers of compromise. So bless us with your word, teach us, and speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. We've already looked, uh, so we're kind of skipping here, if you will, somewhat, because we've already looked at Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, earlier this year. Right after Easter, I did some series leading up through uh, to the Garden and to Jesus' arrest. Uh, and then we took a step back, if you will, over the summer to look at chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 in John's Gospel to look at that prayer uh, and to look at what Jesus had to say to his disciples in the upper room, in the upper room discourse, and as they were on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. So we've already looked at Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you want to refresh your memory about those messages, they are uh, on those platforms that we have, a Facebook, YouTube. You can go back and search those and rewatch those uh, if you'd like to catch up in between where we're skipping to, uh, to come back to, if you will, uh, where we had finished up. So he's already prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's already, as we've already seen before, uh, been betrayed by Judas. Uh, we've looked at how life is unfair uh, when Jesus is taken before uh, the Sanhedrin court, uh, before Caiaphas. And now we're going to see here in these verses the danger of compromise. Now, one of the most valuable lessons that you'll ever learn is what I wanna, want you to take away from this message, that there are some things in life that you must never compromise on as a believer because the cost is just too great. So we're going to be looking at, as we continue here, the last days, and we're getting into the very last hours, if you will, of Jesus' life on this earth. And these are two of the most fascinating characters in this whole entire episode uh, of, of Jesus in his last days, and that's Peter and this man named Pontius Pilate. So we're going to learn about both of these men and the dark side, if you will, 
of compromise. So first let's look at Peter. And I want you to see Peter's compromise. So understand this. You, you, if you've read the Bible, you know the story of Peter and how he had already told Jesus just a few hours earlier, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Uh, you know, when he made that statement, he was making that out of the pride of his heart. Uh, and so we need to be careful about that because failing the Lord is very, a very, very serious thing. Peter had failed Jesus in, in several areas, and his failure finally reaches a climax here in these verses where uh, we see he gives an actual denial uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but we'll find out later that he is forgiven, uh, and, and there is forgiveness for any of us as believers who fail. So I want you to see, first of all here, the cause of failure. So go back to verse 54 and verse 55 here again, because I want to refresh you as you look specifically at what's said in the passage. It says, And then they seized him and led him away, talking about Jesus. They brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they built a fire, when they kindled a fire, it says, in the midst of the courtyard, and they all sat down together. What does it say Peter did? He sat down among them. Now that was the first step here that we see that he took that was wrong. Now he had already taken some earlier steps that were wrong. Uh, if you go back to the Garden of Gethsemane message uh, where he takes a sword out uh, and, and cuts one of the guy's ears off who's trying to arrest uh, Jesus. Well, uh, Mark chapter 14 and verse 66 says this about this episode. So we're going to flip between several different Gospels here. It says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. So we know he's below in the courtyard. They've got Jesus up uh, in the courtyard holding a, a sham trial, if you will, uh, about Jesus. And we find out, as we had read there in Luke verse 55, that Peter sits down among them. Now, I don't have these verses on the screen, but as I was thinking about this, it just came to me and wanted to uh, remind you of this. Go to Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1 in your Bibles. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. And you'll remember that this is a psalm that, that most every Jewish child would have been taught. Uh, every Jewish person would have known this psalm and the danger that it warns about. So notice in particular verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, so he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So when you read that, and I preached that message before, you see that progression that happens, that when you stand and you start to get yourself around people who are not godly people, people who are, uh, it's going to influence you. It's going to influence you away from the Lord. And, and so it starts with just being around them. And then uh, the Bible says there, uh, you start listening to them uh, in Psalm 1, uh, verse 1. You, you walk amongst them, you stand amongst them as you're hearing what they say. And then finally it leads to that progressive step of, of sitting. What did, what did Peter do here? He sat down among them. What we find about Peter and what we find about ourselves when we fail and we fall, we fall to compromise is that Peter was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was below in the courtyard 
rather than beside Jesus. You remember that? Everybody fled from Jesus. All his disciples had run from him. Uh, John is probably the only one who's kind of hanging around for closest and getting the, the, the details as, as the Lord inspires him in, in writing his gospel. But, but here's Peter who, who initially runs when they arrest Jesus, but at least he comes along and he finds himself here, but he's down in the, in the lower courtyard. Uh, he, he was where he shouldn't have been. He was with the crowd of rejectors. He was sitting with them. He was warming himself by their fire. And the, and the crowd was discussing the trial and, and mocking and joking and cursing Jesus because of his claims. Peter should have either been off alone praying for Jesus or else with the other disciples in prayer, or he should have been beside Jesus there being a witness for Jesus, uh, and, and he, should, he should have been there. Peter was so confused, though, because he was still thinking that Jesus is going to finally make his move and he's going to blast his enemies. He's thinking that Jesus is the earthly Messiah who's going to come and overthrow the, the Roman Empire uh, and, and all the, the oppression that they've been under. And, and Peter couldn't understand that that Peter was confused and so his his mind is reeling and and he's searching for answers he had taken a sword and tried to cut off a man's ear uh, when they arrested Jesus and Jesus said no put it away put it away Peter and then he healed the man's ear well through this whole incident his heart is probably palpitating. It's, it's about to beat out of his chest with fear. Fear of being recognized. Fear of being arrested. Fear of being killed. Peter was filled with pride and arrogance. Uh, that He was thinking, oh, oh, that could never happen to me. You know, and sometimes we think that ourselves. Oh, that could never happen to me. I'd never do what Peter did. But yet so often we do in our hearts and in our lives deny our relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter was thinking, I'll never deny you. Here was Jesus who was being tried and being condemned to die right before Peter's very eyes. And yet Jesus had said he would arise. And, and so Peter had chosen to interpret Jesus' words symbolically, probably thinking that Jesus was referring to, to raising up the kingdom after a struggle with the Romans. The point is Peter never interpreted the, word, the Lord's words literally. And because of that, he was focused on himself and not on Jesus. One thing that will always cause great temptation is being tempted with a crowd of rejectors associating with and moving amongst them in the world. In fact, the New Testament warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 and 18, therefore go out from, among, from their midst and be separate from them, speaking about the world, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So we need to be in the world but not of the world. And so we see that's where the, the cause of his failure here begins. And so notice also, uh, as a part of that, one of the causes here is that, uh, that it, the things that it caused in falling uh, to compromise here is he feared individuals. You know, fearing an individual caused him to pretend. Uh, notice verse 56 and verse 57. In verse 56 it says, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Mark's gospel says it this way in Mark chapter 14 and verse 67 and 68. 
And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were, the Na were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. Now, you remember when Je he had told Jesus he wouldn't deny him, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, you will deny me. And he said, in fact, the way you're going to know it is you're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. So in Mark's gospel, he presents it as, as Peter denies and there's a crow of the rooster. Peter denies and there's another crow of the rooster. Peter denies and there's that third crow of the rooster. The others just talk about his denial and then when that third one happens, uh, then we'll see what, we, what happens when we get to there. But he was fearing individuals. You know, fearing an individual often makes a person pretend. That's what Peter was doing here. He was pretending like he didn't know Jesus. So, so notice what happens here. This young servant girl simply walks up to Peter, says that he has been with Jesus of Nazareth. There seems to be no threat, no danger in this statement to Peter at at worst, it seems like it would have only led to some mockery, maybe some ridicule. Oh, you were over there with Jesus. It doesn't seem like there's any threat here uh, that he's going to be uh, arrested at this point. The rejectors, they're just standing around. They're, they're mocking back and forth about Jesus and his claims. And so in, in their minds and talk, uh, he was but a fool, uh, Jesus was. And so Peter, he, he had an opportunity here. Uh, to, to maybe be a witness for Jesus, to speak up on the behalf of Jesus. He's hearing what they're saying about Jesus. And he could have set it up and said, no, that's not who he is. Let me tell you about what he did. But Peter doesn't do that. Uh, he could have humbly shared about Jesus' love. He could have shared about the enormous care of Jesus for people. Maybe he could have helped and, and turned some who were standing there to Jesus or at least stopped some of the mob from ridiculing. We need to always remember that John was somewhere in the palace as well. And as far as we know, he was maintaining his composure and his testimony for Jesus. But here Peter cracks under his fear. He denied Jesus, pretending he knew nothing about him, nor had anything to do with him. He just claimed ignorance of the whole matter. I don't even know what you're talking about. Who's this guy? Everybody knew who Jesus was. And so the fear of ridicule and the fear of embarrassment often causes people who are Christians to deny Jesus. You know, sometimes the denial is by our words through our voice. Sometimes it's simply by our actions, going along with the person, going along with the crowd. Or sometimes it's just by our silence. There are a lot of people who profess to know Jesus, but their hearts... Are far from him. So here's Peter who lets the fear of the crowd uh, cause him to pretend. We also see not only does he fear an individual here, he fears the crowd, uh, and that causes an empathetic denial. Notice verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of them. Mark chapter 14, verse 69 says, that it was the servant girl who came again and began to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you're a Galilean. Now we'll get to that part in just a moment. But fearing a crowd sometimes causes outright denial. It did with Peter here. So this time the servant girl recognizes him and says to the crowd who's standing around, this is one of them and one of them goes to him. And the pressure upon Peter is stronger because now it's a crowd who's present. He denied it more emphatically this time. Matthew says, Matthew says in his gospel, he denied it with an oath. In other words, I swear I don't know this guy. And we think, I'd never do that. But yet so often, we're pressured by the world around us. Students are pressured at school by the crowd around them to deny Jesus Christ, to, to deny who he really is. And, and you find that pressure coming not, not only from students sometimes, but, but from teachers and professors. And, and so you get that pressure upon you and you're just like Peter. The pressure upon Peter was stronger because it's a crowd here. And so he denies more emphatically. Notice here that Peter was falling, progressing more and more into sin. In other words, every time he denies that he knows Jesus, it gets a little bit stronger. It gets a little bit louder, a little more emphatic here. And so we see that, that he's denying Jesus because he's not by the side of Jesus. Instead, he's standing beside those who are rejecting Jesus. He's standing amongst those rejectors because he had fled the Lord. And he had fled the Lord because he had acted in the flesh. He was fearing persecution. You know, sometimes as, as we have those opportunities to take a stand for Christ, uh, we're fearful of what others might say or what others might do, or I might lose some friends if I take a stand for Christ. This was the first time he was standing face to face with life-threatening persecution, and he was failing to stand. He was failing despite the fact that Jesus told him time and time again that, Peter, you're going to suffer for the Lord. You're going to suffer for the Father. And so Peter easily followed Jesus when, when, when Jesus was popular. He easily followed Jesus when, when he had a large following. But here he comes down and he's, it's him. And he's surrounded by a crowd and he can't stand the heat when Jesus is being opposed and rejected by most. You know, here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 33 that speaks directly to us. But whoever denies me before men... I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So he's fearing the crowd, and that causes this emphatic denial. He's also fearing the crowd, and it causes him to curse. He has a cursing denial. Notice in verse 59 and verse, down through verse 60. And so after an interval of about an hour, so Jesus is still on trial. He's been on trial for at least an hour, probably more than that because he was on trial when Peter here first gave his first denial. But an hour's time has, has gone by since the last denial. Uh, and still another insisted, verse 59 says, saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Mark says in his gospel, he says, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you're a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse 
on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It was the crowd that approached and confronted Peter this time. And that pressure was just so much greater than it had ever been before. I mean, he's been sitting here for an hour. You, you know what you do when you're sitting there by yourself and in the darkness, you're all alone. Your mind begins to race 100 miles a minute and you don't know what to think and, and you begin to contemplate in your mind and you begin to think of what am I going to do and the focus begins to be on you. I mean, what could Peter have done during that hour? He could have been praying for Jesus. He could have been pouring his heart out before the Father. He could have himself gotten up and went on into the trial to, to say, hey, I'll be a witness to Jesus and what he did. But the pressure here where he stayed was much greater. And it was his Galilean speech that gave him away. And the crowd knew that Jesus and his disciples were from Galilee. And they said, you have to be one of his followers. Jesus had been arrested secretly and few knew about it. They just figured there'd be no Galilean who's going to be out at this time of night unless they're a follower of Jesus. And you can just hear it. Boom, 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 boom. Peter's heart's about to pound out of his chest with emotion and fear. And his thoughts were flying, trying to figure out how to escape. And his emotions burst forth in this forceful cursing and the swearing denial that you read about there in verse 60. Notice that when Peter called, what, what did he call Jesus? This man. This man. Peter, you've been with Jesus for three, three and a half years, and you call him this man? Not my Lord, not the master, just this man. To all the rejectors, Jesus is no more than this man. And immediately when, when Peter says that, the rooster crows and Peter hears it. Understand this, that a worldly crowd can and will put undue pressure upon us as believers. And a believer doesn't belong in the midst of a worldly crowd hanging around in worldly places. In fact, Paul said this in Ephesians 5 verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So what's the answer to the danger here? of compromise for Peter. The answer is repentance. Because look at what happens in verse 61 and verse 62. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Mark 14, 72, verse 72 says, and he broke down and wept. So as soon as Peter heard that cock crow, that rooster crow, he called to mind the words of the Lord and he remembered and he wept. 
That word remembered there, thought, means to throw upon. Peter threw his thoughts upon what Jesus had said, that he, Peter, would deny Jesus three times. Peter's mind was fastened. It was focused, laser-focused on what Jesus had told him now. He couldn't let those words go, and all of a sudden, quickly, the emotion and the sorrow begins to rise up in his chest. His heart had already been pounding for fear, and he begins to feel the tears begin to come because he had failed his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so miserably. He loved the Lord, and somehow he knew this isn't where I ought to be. And he runs and leaves the place. He might not understand what was happening to the Lord. And he might not have understood the course that Jesus was taking. But he should have been by his side all the time testifying for him. As fast as he could, without attracting attention, he makes his way out of the courtyard. And as soon as he reaches the outside, it says he bursts. Into tears. Now, the Greek is very descriptive there in describing Peter's weeping. It's a weeping of repentance, of godly sorrow and weeping. The idea here is that Peter was utterly heartbroken and, and adding weeping upon weeping. He wept, and the more he thought about the situation, the more he wept. He, he fell to the ground, and he wept being heartbroken. He was grieved with hurt and pain that was so unbearable. He wept, and he wept, and then he wept some more. There are some who are here this morning or maybe even watching online and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is the place you need to come to of repentance and brokenness before the Lord and to call out to him in agony and pain and say, God, forgive me for my sin. Save me from my sin. If you're here this morning, even as a believer, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know there are times where you've denied Jesus. You didn't take a stand when you should have taken a stand. You didn't speak up for Jesus when you should have spoke up. You found yourself in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you should have been with Jesus, you were with the world. And you need to come to the place that Peter did of repentance. That's the answer for our compromise is to come to the place of repentance and believe, to repent and believe, to turn our hearts back to Jesus. That's where Peter should have been. But I want to tell you about this other man, Pontius Pilate. I want you to see Pontius Pilate's compromise. <coughs> now, by all, all circumstances and, and what we know of the Scripture here, we don't know that Pontius Pilate was a believer at all. Pontius Pilate is just a ruler. He's a governor uh, over Judea. And we're going to see here in Luke 23 uh, a lot about him. He was about 45 years old. He was a seasoned political veteran. He knew how to play both sides uh, against the middle. Uh, but he himself had no backbone himself. The reason he's even in the picture of this story is because the Jews couldn't lawfully put anybody to death themselves. That was the responsibility of the Roman government for them to carry out. So they bring Jesus early in the morning before this Roman governor, charging him with a totally different crime, hoping he'll, he'll carry out this evil act. 
When you face a difficult situation or a difficult decision and there's no easy way out and you have to decide whether or not you, you, you'll compromise, what we learn from Pilate is when compromise is wrong. There are some times that compromise is right. There are other times when compromise is wrong. Let me give you three of those ways when compromise is wrong. Compromise is wrong if it causes you to defy or to, to defy your convictions. I want you to see this in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 23. It says, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. So they're leaving the, the council of the Sanhedrin where he's been in this first trial. And they grab Jesus and they take him over now to Pilate because he's the one who can, who can order him to be executed, to order him to be crucified. And so the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him in verse 2, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew says it this way, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him, led him away, delivered him over to Pilate the governor. As we said, nobody could be put to death unless the governor gave that approval, that death sentence. He could, he could execute the death sentence or he could over, override it. Uh, the Sanhedrin, they were a religious court and not a civil court. They had no authority to put anybody to death unless they had Roman approval. And that's what we see in verse 1 and verse 2 there. So to show you what a trumped-up charge this was, they had just found him guilty of blasphemy not an hour before but now when they bring him to Pilate, they change the charge. They don't say anything about his blasphemy. They charge him with being a rebel, with being a revolutionary. They claimed he's trying to overthrow the Roman government. And so Pilate, he begins to examine him. Matthew 27, 11, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. And what you might not know is that this is the first of three examinations that Jesus is going to be placed under by Pilate alone. Jesus was examined a fourth time by Herod. Why? Pilate was trying to pass the buck when we find that out when he goes to Herod. When he found out that Jesus was from Galilee, notice what he says in verse 6 and verse 7 of chapter 23. When he heard this, that he was from Galilee... <coughs> He asked whether this man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, in verse 7, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. So here's, here's Pontius Pilate who's thinking, I got out of this one. I can send him over there to Herod. He's in Herod's jurisdiction. Let him handle this mess, and I don't have to be involved with this. So he's passing the buck. Jesus is examined four times, three by Pilate, one by Herod. And he was grilled. He was peppered with question after question, trying to trap Jesus, trying to prove him guilty of anything worthy of death. And here's the conclusion that Pilate comes to in his examination. Look at what he says in verse 4 of chapter 23. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Look, if you will, down to verse 14 and verse 15. He said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And he goes even further, because he had sent him over to Herod, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. 
Going down to verse 22 of the same chapter. In verse 22 it says a third time he said to them, Why? Why do you want me to put him to death? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. So neither Pilate, who didn't know Jesus, nor Herod, who hated Jesus, could find any guilt in him at all. Pilate didn't just believe that Jesus was never guilty of everything, anything. He knew he wasn't guilty of anything. Uh, of all the judges that Jesus stood before in the six different trials he had to undergo, Pilate was the only one who looked at the facts and he came down, uh, it came down that he found in, his, in the facts, he declares, not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Over and over and over, Pilate says, not guilty. No fault in him. Publicly, he pronounces him innocent. Honestly, the case should have been closed right then. And Jesus should have been released, and Pilate should have made the mob go home. If you think about it, Jesus wasn't really on trial before Pilate, though. Pilate was on trial before Jesus. Both men had something in common that day. They both knew Jesus Christ was innocent of any crime. In fact, Jesus was innocent of any sin. And Pilate had this as a conviction in his heart. He knew at this point, if, the, if, 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 if he condemns this man to die, if I condemn this man to die, I'm going to be condemning an innocent man. And he knew that would be wrong. So instead of saying yes to this crucifixion, he should have said no. Now, we need to learn that convictions for us are like anchors when we face the storm. If you have to defy a conviction in order to do something or to please someone, then that compromise is wrong. One of the greatest things you can do early in life is to identify what are the core convictions of my life. Now, as a believer, your core convictions ought to be right here in the Word of God. Not what the world says, but what does God say for you? And so I would encourage you, write down what your core convictions are. What are your standards? From a biblical point of view, uh, when you decide what those are, then never compromise if it means you're going to defy your convictions. Secondly, and that's why we always have to make sure it's based on the Word of God, because if it's based on my feelings or my thoughts, those convictions can be wishy-washy and change from one day to the next. So make sure your convictions are founded in the Word of God. Secondly, though, compromise is wrong if you have to deny your conscience. You see this in verse 8 down through verse 16. So it says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate, <laughs> man, they became friends that day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. They had been enemies of each other. So Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, verse 13, now verse 14, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. And so as the story unfolds here, 
One thing is very, very obvious. Pilate is struggling with what to do with Jesus. In fact, he's finally driven to the point to ask that very question in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 27, verse 22. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Everybody's yelling for him to be crucified. But Pilate's got a problem with this. His conscience is telling him this isn't right. In fact, when the Jews first bring Jesus to Pilate, listen to the conversation that takes place in John's gospel in John 18 and verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. So here's the Sanhedrin who in effect is asking Pilate to take Jesus out and execute him without asking any questions. We brought him to you, that should be good enough. Don't examine him, don't give him any legal recourse without finding out what he had been accused of, why he was being condemned. It's enough that we brought him to you, that ought to be reason enough for you to execute him. Because at this point, here's Pilate who could have easily done that, but he doesn't. Because at this point, he did have a conscience, and it was a wall holding him back from making the wrong decision. Then an unusual thing happens. Matthew 27, verse 19. It's the only place this is recorded to tell us what's going on in Pilate's heart and mind and what's going on behind the scenes. Verse 19 says, Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen or heard what that dream was all about? To cause Pilate's wife to, to send him this note, this message. You can't always rely on dreams, but, but here's the thing that amazes me. The conscience of Pilate's wife was eating at her, and she wasn't even the one who was having to decide what the sentence would be. How much more do you think Pilate's conscience was bothering him? Everything within Pilate was screaming, don't do this. He's innocent. Do the right thing. And here's Pilate who found himself wanting to do the right thing in his heart, but at the same time, he's afraid to do it. So often that's the case for us. When we stand with the world surrounding us, putting that pressure upon us to deny our faith in Jesus Christ, everything within us screams, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't compromise your faith. But sometimes fear takes over. We see in a moment the pressure of the crowd and the pressure of the culture was pushing for a guilty verdict. We all know the result of denying your conscience is called guilt. Someone has rightly said that guilt is the tax that comprom compromise pays to conscience. Why do you think God gives us a conscience to begin with? When you're headed for danger, you have a conscience to tell you, uh, to, to help you to keep from making the wrong decision. Your conscience is an, is an automatic warning system that, that God gives to you uh, that's telling you, pull up, pull up, pull up before you crash. The conscience is at the heart of what distinguishes us as human beings. Animals don't have consciences, but we do. And that's why you can do something that even though biblically may not be specified as a sin, but it will be a sin to you if you do it, if it violates your conscience. Romans 14 verse 23 says, But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following the conviction, your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you're sinning. So if you ever find yourself 
in a situation where to compromise you have to deny your conscience, then compromise is wrong. But here's the final word for you. Compromise is wrong if you must defile your character. So keep in mind up to this point, nothing's been proven against Jesus. He's not been found guilty of anything. Every trial he's undergone was illegal. Not one reliable witness had been ever brought against him, not one. I believe Pilate was this close to letting Jesus go and doing the right thing. But then he begins to listen to the crowd. In fact, he, he tried everything he could to do the right thing, but notice what John 19, 12 says. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The crowd played their trump card. They knew Pilate cared about what Caesar would think because Caesar was his boss. He was already under administrative watch because of the earlier things that had happened. If this crowd was to riot and cause trouble and word was to get back to Caesar that Pilate had let things get out of hand, he could lose it all. Everything was on the line. His power, his prestige, his position. It may be your job that's on the line. It may be losing friends that's on the line. It may be that, that you're going to be unpopular because you're going to take the stand uh, with Christ. And, and so here he is. He, he makes one last ditch effort to have it all. Matthew 27, verse 15. So at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. So every year during the Passover, to promote goodwill with the Jewish people, the Roman governor would, would release one Jewish prisoner from Roman custody. Normally a few prisoners would be selected by the Roman officials and those names would be given to the people. They'd kind of have a vote who would go free. So Pilate here, he's pulling out all the stops. He's, he's going to give the people a choice, but he's only going to give them of two. Two prisoners to be released. Now, of course, one's Jesus. Who's the other one? Matthew 27, 16 says, then the, and they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. A notorious prisoner. Who was Barabbas? Let me just put it this way. He was one of the worst criminals in that time. In fact, he was guilty of everything that Jesus had been charged with. He was a rebel. He was a revolutionary. He was a number one terrorist in, in the country. Pilate thought, I've solved the problem. The, they can't reject Jesus now and choose Barabbas. But things didn't go quite according to plan. Verse 17, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Verse 20 says in Matthew 27, Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said... Barabbas. Wow. For Pilate here, never in a million years did he dream that they would make the wrong choice. The question now is, what's Pilate going to do? Is he going to compromise or is he going to stand true to his convictions? And he asked what someone has said is the most important question any individual will ever ask in his lifetime. That question that we said a moment ago, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ. And they said, crucify him. Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, 
Let him be crucified. Now, Pilate was about to learn something about Jesus that every one of us needs to remember, and that is this. It's impossible to do nothing about Jesus Christ. You may decide this morning, well, I'm not going to make a decision today. Well, you just made a decision. I'm not going to do anything with Jesus yet. I'm not sure. Well, you just made a decision about what you're going to do with Jesus. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another day. Not to decide for Jesus is to decide against Jesus. You cannot pass the buck when it comes to Jesus Christ. And so, what will you do with Jesus? You can't be neutral. Someday you'll be asking, what will he do with me? What will Pilate do with Jesus? He's reached the peak of pressure. The, the gauge of his entire emotional framework has, has gone to the breaking point. Everything is screaming within him. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. Some of you remember that show. The indicator lights are going off. And what does he do? He compromises. He lets honesty and integrity and decency and character go right down the drain. When Pilate saw in verse 24 that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water that was in a basin, and he washed his hands before the crowd. It was symbolic, but it was literal to the people. I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. And His blood has been on us ever since. Because the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only thing that could have saved Pilate was his character, but he didn't have any. You have to ask yourself, how could a man go from, from saying five minutes earlier, I find no fault in this man, to saying... Go ahead, kill him. Mark puts it this way in Mark 15, verse 15. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Character is determined by the courage of your convictions. Pilate couldn't take the heat, so he sells his character down the river for the temporary job security. The worst thing that could ever happen to anyone happened to Pilate. See, it's one thing to defy your convictions. It's another thing to deny your conscience. But there is nothing worse than when you defile your character. And here's why. Think about this. If wealth is lost, nothing's lost. If health is lost, something is lost. But if character is lost, everything is lost. So many times in our lives, we are faced or have been faced with decisions where we have to decide whether or not we're going to compromise. When we do, let me give you this closing. I would encourage you to always ask three questions. Will this cause me to deny my convictions? Will this cause me to deny my conscience? And will this cause me to defile my character? That's the greatest question of all because character is more important than anything else. There will be times uh, where you'll be tempted to go along to get along. Don't do it. 
The Bible says this in James 4, verse 7 and verse 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There are three guidestones for life to help you when you're being tempted to compromise. It's always right to do right. It's always do right. It's never wrong to do right. And it's never right to do wrong. So when you're facing those difficult decisions in your life, don't ever take the easy way out. Take the right way out. And never sell your convictions, your conscience, or your character. Be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I pray that this word has shown us the dangers of compromise, but yet that it has also shown us some steps that we can take, that we learn from Pilate and we learn from Peter, that we need to come to the place of repentance as Peter did. Lord, there are going to be those times for every single one of us here this morning that we're going to fail. We're not going to speak up when we should have. We're not going to say something about Jesus when we should have. We're not going to stand in defense of Christ when we should have. And so for that, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. We come before you as Peter did, Lord, with brokenness in our hearts, knowing, Lord, that we have turned our back upon you. We have denied you. Sometimes by our words, sometimes by our actions, sometimes just by our silence. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would stand firm in the truth of your word, standing firm in the biblical convictions that you've given us for our lives as believers. And Father, may we never compromise the standards of your word. Lord, I pray this morning that if we find ourselves like Pilate, pressured by the world around us, pressured to go along, to get along, Father, I pray that we will examine our hearts, make sure that we're standing not on our own convictions, not on worldly convictions, but on biblical foundations, standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to follow you and to be faithful to you. And may you bless us, Lord, in the days ahead. Lord, if there are those who are here this morning who've never trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they call out to you and ask for forgiveness of their sins. And Lord, that they come in repentance to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Have your way and your will in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us, if you will, in our hymn of invitation number 317. Would you stand as you make your way to come?
seated for just a moment. Y'all can come over here closer to the middle where everybody can see you. Well, this morning, uh, Riley had actually come to me this week uh, with her mom and, and shared with me that she had prayed and asked Jesus into her heart and wanted to come and to be baptized and to join the church. And also Ryan, who's been coming uh, for all this time that I've been here, uh, he has been saved but has never been baptized and wanted to come and be baptized also and to join our church too. So if you're excited for their decisions this morning, would you say a hearty amen? Amen. We're excited for them too. And, and we're going to ask you to come by and to shake their hands at the end of the service here. Uh, so you be sure to do that and welcome them into the family. Y'all can have a seat back over there. And Brother Bradley, if you'll come and share our announcements here. Just a few announcements. Uh, Sandra Wells is coming home today. So continue to pray for her as uh, she uh, heals and gets comfortable. Uh, no evening service is not, and uh, Jewel uh, Farrell has a stress test this week, so just keep her in prayer, too. I guess Matt has something. Hey, also want to remind you, if uh, ladies, if you haven't had a chance, please sign up for the women's conference. And so the sign-up sheet is still out here on the bulletin board. I think we've got about uh, nine or eight so far. We'd love to get some more. Uh, invite your friends to it as well, um, so that way they can be encouraged. And it's also for our younger uh, ladies as well teenage girls uh you know moms bring your girls and they'll they will also i think get a lot out of it and next saturday we will be heading to the youth apologetics conference uh, at union university and so we plan on to leave at 6 30 that morning and so you can still uh there's time to sign up um and so just be sure to uh if your student's going they'll need money for dinner but thank you That's it. Oh, go Lord. Oh, Miss Judy. Just a few brief words about the ministry center. I don't know if all of you know the ministry center, the building over here. It's open on Friday mornings when people come through uh, for the food bank. There's lots of blessings going on. We hear lots of uh, stories from the people who come in and share with us. People in the congregation donate bottled water. We give out bottled water at no charge. We also give out free books and Bibles that church members have donated. The blessing is we need more. This, uh, this past Friday, a young boy, 16 years old, came and he said, can I take some extra Bibles so I can take to my school and give them out? I was shocked. I said, you certainly can as long as your school will allow you to do that. Oh yes, it's okay. So he took three or four Bibles with him. So 
I don't know as a whole church if we realize the blessing that's going out. I try to remember to pray that our church is a light in our community. And so if you're not aware, that's one of the ways that Jesus' word is going out in our community is from the people who, those of you who donate and then those who come and utilize that and share with others. I just want to say thank you and keep the books and Bibles coming. it we'll pray lord we thank you for this day we thank you for brother jim and his message let us take us uh, through the week and let us apply it to our life be with all those on the prayer request and just be with them as they heal or whatever their need may be in your name i pray amen